today, though, we're getting into Hebrews 1 and 2. We're going to cover two whole chapters. And you're probably a little bit worried about that, but I'm going to do my best to keep it as short as possible. But uh, Friday was the fall equinox, right? It's officially fall now. It's, it's officially acceptable to wear flannel. It's, it, it's acceptable to, uh, you can wear flannel whenever you want around here as, as far as I'm concerned. But it's fall and, and we've probably, you've probably noticed we've started to transition weather-wise into fall, right? We've been going through this transition for the last couple of weeks from nice, hot, warm weather to what we're used to expecting for the next seven or eight months out of the year. In fact, the temperature in my house used to be in the 70s on a regular basis, and now it's kind of dropping down into the 60s, and it might get up into the 70s if it gets really warm. But we used to kind of sit in the 70s, and every once in a while it might drop down in the 60s, but now we're in the 60s every once in a while. It might jump up into the 70s, and so the times are changing. It's a different a different season. In our old house, we live in an old farmhouse. Our old farmhouse is not used to being this cool. You can actually hear it start to ache and moan and complain about being cold. And that's because my grandpa had an old wood furnace that he built in the basement that they used to run, and he consistently kept the temperature in the house in the 80s all winter long. So if you went over to grandpa's house, you had to wear layers and probably several layers so that you could get down to shorts and a t-shirt because it was going to be hot. But to be honest, I'm a little bit disappointed in my house. I don't care how old your house is. I think, I think it's perfectly reasonable to expect from my house to be a place that serves my comforts. Right? I mean, isn't that why we have houses? Isn't that why we, we live indoors so that it can serve our comforts? That's kind of the whole point of having somewhere to sleep at night so that we can sleep in a comfortable place. In fact, I don't just, I don't just feel like it's something that should happen. I feel like I deserve comfort. Right? I mean, don't we all? I think we all probably feel like we deserve to be comfortable on some level that we deserve to have our comforts, our leisure, and our demands for convenience to be met on a regular basis. I mean, this is the world we live in, right? I mean, this is society. It's what society is driven by at this very moment, comfort and convenience. And so I think it's perfectly reasonable for me to expect that my life gets easier and easier and easier so I can expend less and less effort over time. I think I deserve it. So then, if this is true, if this is the truth of our culture, the truth of the world that we live in, that we deserve to have our lives be more comfortable and more convenient on a consistently increasing basis, then is it too much to ask that my Maps app on my phone could actually take me where I want to go on the fastest and most direct route? I don't think that's too much to ask. And by fastest, I don't mean like I have to drive 10 or 15 miles over the speed limit to make up the time that my app didn't calculate for. I mean, it's fine if I want to play the ETA game on my own, right? Anyone play that game where it's like this it says the ETA and then you try to beat it and see if you can get that number to go, right? Does anyone play that game? Oh, it's just me. All right. 
So we play the ETA game, but if I want to play that, that's fine, but don't make me do it just to get there at the time you said. And by direct route, I do not mean driving the 6'8 big box truck, which is 13 feet 6 inches high, through neighborhoods with low-hanging branches. Right? I don't think my, my Maps app should, should do that. I think it should be able to know what vehicle I'm driving and adjust accordingly. Right? I mean, this is, this is an expectation that I think is perfectly reasonable in the world that we live in today. Is it too much to ask that that happened? Is it too much to ask that when I order a hamburger without onions at a drive-thru, that it actually comes without onions? Is that too much to ask? And by without onions, I know you're all judging me for eating at drive-thrus, but that's fine, it's fine. I'll set a low bar for everyone to, to, to prove that they're better than me. But without onions, I don't mean that they put them on and then take them off, leaving behind a nasty onion-flavored residue. I mean, when I say without onions, I mean leave the onions off in the first place. You would think with kind of the mindset of our culture, where we don't want to work any harder than we have to, that the, that the workers in the stores, who are the workers in the restaurants, would just kind of jump at the opportunity to do less work. But they don't. They put them on, and then they scrape them off. They're doing twice as much work. I don't think it's too much to ask. Is it too much to ask that I get an actual human being to check me out at the store? Have you noticed, like it's really getting crammed down our faces right now that we have to, especially if you've been to Home Depot, they just took out any actual customers, any actual uh, store person checking you out. Everyone has to do it now, yeah. And when I'm at the store, I don't know what code to put in for the fruit. Does anyone know the code for Fuji apples? I don't know the codes. I mean, this is the age of convenience, right? How is it more convenient if I have to do all the work? It's not convenient for me. And it's definitely not faster because there are always problems when you're checking things out for yourself, right? Like when the item is too light for the bagging area and you can't continue to check out until you get the sensor to recognize that item, right? You buy something, a little packet of something, like a Kool-Aid packet, and you put it on there, and it just doesn't register, doesn't register, doesn't register, and you're stuck. You can't do anything. Or if you take too long to get the item from scanning it into the baggage area, and then the machine says, unexpected item in the bagging area. When someone was checking me out, when a real person was checking me out, I never got reprimanded by a machine. I never got told, hey, fix this. I mean, it used to be this delightfully awkward experience between me and another human being where they would complain about their shift or their difficult customers who still use checks. But now it's this stressful, anxiety-inducing experience where I also get the privilege of being accused of shoplifting or trying to shoplift while the other customers behind me get mad at me for taking too long at the self-checkout. I want to just turn around and say to them, sorry, I'd rather be done by now too. But apparently it's more convenient for me to do this job without any training so that it can take me twice as long as it would a paid professional. I just don't, I think, 
I think it's perfectly reasonable for me to assume that convenience should be on my side, not the store side. I don't think that's too much to ask. This is the age that we live in, right? This is the age of comfort and convenience. So it's perfectly reasonable to expect that I get what I want, how I want it, when I want it, and without it causing me any additional stress or anxiety. At least that's how I feel. If you're going to sell me that this is how our culture works, then you better fulfill, meet up the, meet, live up to your end of the promise. But I think we spend, as a society, as people, a lot of time and effort to make our lives comfortable, right? We've worked really hard over the years to make our lives comfortable. And if anything threatens our comfort, then we feel perfectly justified in flying off the handle in response. Like, don't mess with my comfort. Don't mess with my comfort zone because this is where I feel like I deserve to live. So we spend, I think, a lot of energy and effort creating comfort zones in our lives because we want our lives to be easy and as easy as possible. And in fact, I think comfort zones are natural. It's natural to want to live in your comfort zones. And by default, if we drift, if we tend to drift, we find ourselves not drifting towards our goal or our desired future. If we drift, we tend to drift back towards our comfort zone, right? We drift back towards what we are used to, what was normal to us. It's easy. We can drift back to our comfort zone without even having to think because it's habitual. It's our pre-existing second nature. So it's natural then, right? It's natural to react when someone or something starts to push us out of our comfort zone. Right? It's natural for me to feel a little bit offended and upset when I go to the store and I'm pushed out of my comfort zone to have to check out my own stuff. Right? It's natural for me to feel a little bit justified in my anger at Home Depot. And this, I think, is exactly what's happening, what the author of Hebrews is addressing, is people who, who have been in their comfort zone, who have been used to things working a certain way for a very, very long time. As we go through the rest of the sermon, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to, uh, to use your imagination as best, as best you can. We're going to be talking about sailing a little bit or being a boat, and that's often a metaphor that's used for life, being a, a ship out on the ocean. And in fact, uh, what I started to discover was that the author of Hebrews, Hebrews uses a lot of nautical terms throughout his letter. And so one of the things I've been doing over the last four or five days is just going through and looking for all the different terms that, that have nautical uh, meanings behind them, and there's a whole lot in here. At first, I thought it was just a couple, but I've got a pretty big list now that also have some nautical terms behind it. So if you will, as, as we go through this morning, imagine yourself as a ship out on the ocean. Imagine that, that your, your life is represented by the ship. If you want, you can imagine that you're the captain of the ship, whatever makes it easier. But, but just imagine with me that you are out sailing on the seas. But comfort zones are easy, 
And that's what the author of Hebrews is addressing. Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2 says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. And then a little bit further in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, it says, For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? So here the author of Hebrews is contrasting an old way with a new way. He's contrasting the old way of salvation and the new way of salvation. The Hebrews were used to the way God had spoken for, for uh, you know, 1,500 years. God had spoken in a specific way. He spoke through the law. He spoke through angels, as we're going to discover a little bit. We talked a little bit about this last week. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke in a specific way. But now that has changed. And in the present tense, God has spoken through his Son. In the past, they were used to things being done a certain way. They had the law, they had the covenant, they had the rules, they had the commands. They, they knew exactly what they were supposed to do and had a reasonable expectation for how to live that way. Nobody ever lived up to it perfectly, but they had a framework in mind. But now, that's different. Things were done one way, now they're done this new way. And then the author of Hebrews says, if this old message was binding... Or this word is one of, one of the terms that can have a nautical term for it. If this old, word, old, old message was firm or steadfast or the idea of a ship being run aground and completely stuck where it is. It can't go any further. It is where it is. And we have one of those ships out on the coast of Oregon that ran aground and it's been there ever since. He says, as this old message was binding, if it was firm in its, in its expectations of us, then he's going to say how we respond to the new message that was sent through the Son is even more crucial. And even the word crucial should help to remind us because crucial comes has actually originated from the word crucifixion and cross. This is a crucial contrast. So we have to ask ourselves this question. Are we going to stick with what we know? Are we going to stick with what we're used to? Or are we going to stick with the things that we have already embraced and the framework of our lives and the comfort zones we have established for ourselves up to this point? Are we going to stick with what we know? Or are we going to embrace the better but unknown way of Jesus? So we have to make a choice. The choice is yours to make. No one can force you to make this choice. I hope you will make a specific choice, but I'm not going to pressure you to make a choice that you don't want to make. No one can decide for you. You have to decide for yourself. Will we embrace this identity that I am not a drifter? Identity number one, I am not a drifter. Will we embrace this identity? Will we embrace the identity that I don't want to drift back into old comfort zones? I am not a drifter. 
Many, I think, if not most of us, would actually agree with that statement. I am not a drifter. At least in theory, I'm not a drifter. I want, I desire, I really have an urge to walk with Christ in a new way that I'm not used to. I want to experience his presence and power in my life in new ways on a regular basis. I want this life. I want to embrace his newer way and his design, his better, higher design for my life. I want this to be true of me. I am not a drifter. And everything, I think, goes fine until something happens. We don't want to be drifters. We don't want to be people that drift, but something happens, and the something that happens often changes things. And oftentimes, we didn't intend to drift back into our old habits, our old comfort zones, but a storm comes, and as the storm comes, it takes all of our effort and attention to survive the storm, and before we know it, we've drifted right back to where we started. We were going in the right direction, but because it took all of our effort to fight against the waves and row against the storm and just try to survive without capsizing out on the sea, it took everything we had to stay alive, all of our efforts towards a new way of living were gone, and we drifted. Without even trying it, the waves swept us in an entirely different direction, which brings us to another problem, struggling and suffering. The first problem is about our comfort zone. We, don't, we, we, we want to be the kind of people that don't drift and move away from our comfort zone and towards God's desired future for our lives. That's, that is what we want for ourselves, but then something happens, right? Struggles and suffering. This is the problem of being distracted by the storm. Because I don't, I don't want to drift back into my old ways, but the storm comes and life gets hard. Unexpected things happen. And I end up drifting out of the safety of the harbor, tossed back and forth by the waves of the sea. And no matter how hard we row against the waves, we're helpless to overcome the current of the storm. And we're defeated. If someone doesn't get us off this boat, we're dead in the water. If someone doesn't come to our rescue, we're lost at sea. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. We must pay the most careful attention. We must pay the most careful attention. By the way, this word pay attention is another nautical term. To pay attention is used in, in, in sailing as to moor a ship or to bring a ship to land. It's the idea of taking hold of something and then paying attention to it, putting your mind on it, focusing on it, especially in the sense of being on guard, looking out for hazards, looking out for dangers. It means to turn your mind to something, and it includes the idea of acting upon what you see. 
So this idea of paying attention is not to just listen, pay attention, but it is to actually pay the most careful attention. Be resolute in your focus. Be very concerned about where your attention is going. Hebrews 2.1, we must pay the most careful attention. We must moor our ship to the right, way, the right place. So pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. Verse 3, this salvation which was first announced by the Lord was confirmed to us by those who heard him. He's starting to contrast now the confirmations of the new message with the old message. The new message was testified by signs, testified to by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. But there's the storm. There's the struggle of the storm. This new salvation, this salvation which God has sent out to us to save us from the seas is in a storm. We find ourselves in a storm, and this storm is the power of him who holds the power of death. Verse 14, that is the devil. We need a savior who will come and then free us, free those who all our lives were held in slavery by our fear of death. See, we're not just, we're not just facing, facing the drift towards our comfort zone. We're not just facing the temptation to drift back into what we know and what we're used to, our old habitual nature. We're actually facing the problems of the storm and the fear that the storm causes us and the enemy who uses the fear of the storm to keep us in slavery. And this enemy is constantly at work. He's constantly at work to pull us away from the safety of the harbor, to, to create a storm in our lives and draw us away from the harbor, to draw our attention away from the Savior to the storm. So we have to decide. Do we want the more we were made for? Yeah, I don't want to drift, but that, there's, that's not going to be enough. I mean, just not wanting to drift isn't going to be enough to keep me focused. I also have to decide, do I want the more that I was made for? Chapter 2, verse 5. It is not to the angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. But there is a place, by the way, when he says that, when he says there is a place where someone has testified, he's being a little bit sarcastic and ironic because his audience would have been so familiar with the Old Testament and this passage in particular that when he started speaking it, they would know exactly what he was talking about, Psalm 8. So there's a place somewhere, it'd be like if I said, there's a place somewhere that someone has said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have a, you know, eternal life. And when I say, if I say somewhere it says, you know I'm being kind of sarcastic and that's what the author is doing here. He says somewhere, it says somewhere, somewhere someone has testified, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything 
under their feet. And putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet, at present, we do not see everything subject to them. We have to decide, do we want the more that we were made for? The world to come will be subjected to God's creation, God's most precious creation, mankind. Who, for now, our present experience, the way the world ex exists right now as we are used to it, for now, we're experiencing it in a way where we're little lower than the angels and it's not subjected to us like God had it originally. But the more of the not yet, the more that we were made for, the more that is yet to come is reserved for those who embrace the more and leave the comfort zone behind. So we have to ask ourselves, will we embrace this identity? I leave my comfort zone behind to embrace the more I was made for. I will leave my comfort zone behind to embrace the more I was made for. It's our choice. No one can force it on us. Will you decide that you want to embrace the more you were made for and say goodbye to the drift? But this leads us to the real problem. We want to leave our comfort zone. We really desire to leave our comfort zones and go into new uncharted waters, right? We, we want to leave behind what we have always known and go into the more that we were made for, that God designed for us. But when we're in the storm, we realize we are powerless to get there on our own. We've tried. We've tried many times and failed. We've tried many times to get there in our own strength, and we've failed. We have, we have worked really hard to come up with the effort and still come up short. We have expended great amounts of effort and energy, but know how, no matter how hard we try, we just can't seem to conquer the waves. We're stuck out on the boat, drifting out to sea, too far from the coast to make it there safely on our own. Who is going to rescue us? So we need a pioneer. We need a trailblazer. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. But in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom, all, through whom also he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory, like we talked about uh, last, this last week on the podcast, that, that the, the, as the rays of light are to the sun, the sun shine, and they come out of the sun, and that's how we experience the sun on the earth, is through the rays of sun that extend to the earth. The sun sends rays of light to the earth, and that's how we experience it. It is the same thing. So also the Father sent the sun, the radiance, the light, 
the rays of light of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Once Jesus had provided purifications for our sins, he, he sat down. The work was finished. It was complete. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. Remember the passage about the angels where everything is, is supposed to be subjected to them, but this is where we pick up that thought. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family, so Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. And since the children have flesh and blood, that's us, he too, Jesus, shared in their humanity so that, why did Jesus share in their humanity? So that by his death, he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil. Verse 18, because he himself suffered when he was being tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. See, what happens here is we are powerless to save ourselves. And there's this term, and I can't remember what it's called, but one of those old theologians used this illustration. He used a lot of these and nows. So I'm gonna to try to make it a little more understandable. See, we're lost out at sea. We're, we're being tossed back and forth by the waves. Think of those movies that you may have watched where there's a boat out on the sea and it's during the storm and, and it's just being battered and torn and the waves are crashing down against every side and you can just feel the weight of the water as it comes crashing down and you can feel the water coming over the sides and, and filling up the boat. And you wonder, especially in this time when they didn't have engines, how are we going to survive as the waves continue to crash over the side? We can't keep up with the water as it's coming in. We can't keep up with the waves as they come in. We are certainly going to drown as the waves crash in. We're lost out at sea. We have no hope of getting back to shore on our own. We need a pioneer, someone who is brave enough and able to come to the boat and take a rope from the boat and take it back to the shore. But we've seen the waves. We've seen the storm. And I'm not going out in the water. 
But Jesus comes along. Jesus, the Son, the radiance of the light, the one who came from the Father, full of grace and truth, the light himself comes out from the Father. And because he was made perfect by what he suffered, he takes the rope and through the suffering swims to the shore. We would certainly drown, but he, he makes it to shore, and he takes this rope to shore, and as he takes this rope to shore, he ties it off to something stronger and steadfast and better than anything that had ever existed before, and as he, as he does this work now we back on the boat have a way through the storm This will get me there safely. And we, as far out as we may be in the waters, deeper than we can swim, because Jesus, made perfect by what he suffered through the storm, through the waves, through the crashing, through the temptation, through all of it, he made it there perfectly. Now we can follow the exact same path to shore. And we can stand in our boats and we can start to do the work of pulling ourselves in to safety. We're not really doing the work. Jesus already did the work. We just have this one job being resolutely focused on the shore. Wherever that rope ends is where I look. Everything else can crash, but it doesn't matter what happens. The waves can come crashing over the boat, but it's okay because I got a rope. I, I am secure. I am safe. I am tied to the one who swam out before me and made a way through the storm. One of the misconceptions I think we have as Christians is that when we, now oh, I've got a blister. <laughs> That's right. The author of Hebrews is gonna talk about this. We think 
once we hitch our rope up to Jesus, smooth sailing. Like all my problems are just gonna vanish. Everything's gonna get easy. That's not in the Bible anywhere. If you have read that, I would love to know where that is. We see our, our job is not to just leave our comfort zone. It's not to just embrace the more we were made for. We have to decide. We have to decide, will we stay on the sinking ship, working hard to try to fight our own way through the storm, to prove that we are the only person besides Jesus that we're capable of doing it on our own? Or will we cling to his lifeline to get us through the storm? I know which one I want, but I can't decide for you. Will we embrace this identity? It's kind of long, but if you want to write it down, I'd encourage you to do so. I will leave my comfort zone behind to embrace the more I was made for by securing my ship to Jesus' lifeline and paying careful attention to him to get me through the storm. I will leave my comfort zone behind and embrace the more I was made for by securing my ship to Jesus' lifeline and paying careful attention to him to get through the storm. What are we gonna decide? Are we gonna choose to stay in our comfort zone? Are we going to allow ourselves to continue to drift, being tossed aimlessly by the storm? Or will we follow Jesus to shore, to the safety of the harbor where we find rest? Will we stop trying to do things our own way and follow his? Because the truth is, Jesus didn't come to save you from the storm, but to guide you through it. If Jesus had come to save us from the storm, I firmly believe when we... The identity statement? I firmly believe that if Jesus had in mind that we simply smooth sail through life after putting our salvation in him, he would just take us out of this life. But as we read through scripture, we read through his apostles, the disciples, and the life that they faced, they certainly faced a lot of storms. Literal storms and figurative storms. You can go read the storm that Paul faced at the end of the book of Acts and find some of these same nautical terms. It's not that Jesus comes to save us from the storm, but that he made a way through the storm. 
Jesus didn't come to save you from the storm, but to guide you through it. And that's exactly what we're going to learn. We're going to learn that the Hebrews were facing a storm and and Jesus had come not to rescue them from any kind of, of difficulty and persecution and trial and struggle, but that Jesus had actually made a way through the storm because he is the pioneer of our salvation. One of the nautical words is the word perfect. This is actually a nautical term. It can be used to mean fully fitted for the voyage. Like a ship is fully fitted for the voyage. It has everything on the ship that it needs to make the trip. Jesus, then, was made fully able for the task of being the pioneer of our salvation through suffering. Jesus had to go through the greatest suffering any human had ever experienced. He went through it and he was made perfect. He was made fully fitted, fully outfitted for the task of being the pioneer of our salvation through what he, what he suffered. It's not like he was made perfect in status because that's something different, but he was, he was made perfectly outfitted for the voyage of what he suffered to be our high priest, to be our pioneer, to be the pilot like, like it existed in the old days and still exists today when, when a big ship would come into a harbor and you'd have the pilot that would come and board the ship and, and drive your boat through all of the hazards to get you into the dock. He would become the pilot that guides us safely into the rest and peace of the harbor. But he was made perfect, verse 18 of chapter 2. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. The perfection for which Jesus was made perfect was to resonate, to know what we are going through. He knows exactly what it feels like to fight through the storm to get to shore. He is the perfect brother to us. He is, our, he is our brother who knows exactly what we have gone through. He knows, he knows exactly what the storm feels like. He knows exactly what temptation feels like. He knows exactly what struggling and suffering feels like. He went through it all, and because he went through it, he became then the perfect pioneer, the perfect pilot to then guide us safely into the harbor. And so we, I think should pay attention. We should take hold of and be resolutely focused on Jesus Christ who has gone before us and then make every effort as we're going to read. To not, not be lazy, not to just sit out there at sea and then hope that somebody's going to pull us in. But that we make every effort to stay focused on Jesus. That is the decision we have to make. And that is Hebrews 1 and 2.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son to be the perfect representation of you. Your Son, for whom and through whom everything exists, came and walked among us and went through anything we would go through. Thank you, Father, for sending your Son to be the pioneer, to to make a way to shore, to safety for us. Someone to do all of the work that we would never be strong enough to do on our own. Father, I pray, no matter where we find ourselves this morning, whether we find ourselves maybe just kind of sitting out on a sunny day, enjoying the ocean, or we're being tossed violently back and forth by the waves, that we would make the decision to moor our ship to Jesus, that we would tie our ropes to the one who went ahead of us. I pray, Father, whatever we're facing, whatever it is we're going through, that you'd help us to start to see it with the right perspective. That the enemy would love to distract our focus, get our focus away from the shore. He would use the storm to get us full of fear and concern and worry, to draw our eyes off of Jesus. Father, help us to see the storm for what it is. It is something you want us to get through. It is something you want to use to shape and mold and change and transform us, but that we don't need to be afraid of the storm. We don't need to be afraid of whatever winds and waves may come because we have the way through. Thank you, Father, for this amazing gift. I pray that you would sink this truth deep into our hearts over the week to come. In Jesus' name, amen.